0: Amen. That's what we are here to celebrate today, that he is risen, that he is alive, that he has defeated death and laid it in his grave. Hey, would you bow your head and pray with me as we're about to dive into God's word. We, God, we're so thankful for this day, Lord, and what it represents and what it means for those of us who know you. God, today is a day to celebrate the fact that you have put death in its grave, Lord, that we have hope, eternal hope, not just hope for this life, but hope for eternity through you, defeating the cross, defeating death, and rising from the dead. Lord, we pray as we open up your word, as we hear this resurrection story, fresh and new, Lord, that you would help us to draw close to you, that you would help us to know that you love us, that you dearly want us to walk with you. God, we thank you and we praise you for this chance to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all can go ahead and have a seat. Again, welcome to H2O Service Easter 2021, it is so good to be together. We want to give a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Also want to give a special welcome to those of you who are newer. Maybe you came with a, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. Maybe you came with a family member. You're in from out of town or, or you're not with us much here at H2O, but you came this Easter Sunday. We are truly thankful that you're here. We're honored that you would give up some of this Sunday, this very important holiday Sunday, to spend time with us and open up God's Word and hear what Easter is really all about. It is great to have have you here, and we hope that you feel welcome. We'd love to meet you if we get the opportunity to do that. You know, as uh, as we come to this Easter Sunday, and uh, we just kind of reflect on what it really means, for me, as I've been preparing for this message throughout the week, I, I can't help but, and whenever holidays happen, it kind of just helps you to be reflective and think about the last year. And so as I've been preparing for Easter 2021, I could not have helped but looking back over the last year and thinking about where... We've came from and what our world has looked like, and even thinking about Easter 2020. If you were with us, you remember we were still at this during the stay-at-home order, and so us like about 95% of churches around the country, you know, didn't have gatherings like this uh, in person. We were online only, and just to think about the last year and to think about that most unique Easter and how we're still kind of in a unique season of our world. And if we're we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we, we have the real realize that this last year you know it's been a lot of questions hasn't it been there's been a lot more questions than answers there's been a lot of uncertainty there's been certain amounts of tension uh, there, there's been a, a, some uncomfortability for many of us and if i've learned one thing over the last year and this is true of myself And I think it's definitely been true of of people as I've witnessed both people that I know personally and people that that I've just got to kind of observe. One thing that I've learned is as humans, we like to think that we're in control We like our plans. We like to know what's coming next. We like to have answers, and we're not always as comfortable with questions. We like answers better. And surprises, like surprises are fun maybe when you're opening a birthday present, you know. Surprises are fun if you're a kid on Easter morning and and your parents were nice enough to, to get you an Easter basket or the Easter bunny brought you an Easter basket. Surprises are fun in those kind of controlled moments. But as humanity, we don't necessarily like surprise after surprise after surprise, question after question after question, and yet that's where we found ourselves, right, over the last year, asking lots of different questions. And so I think it's fitting as we gather here together on this Easter Sunday, thinking about the last year full of questions, to remember that Easter is a story of uncertainty. Easter is a story of questions. Easter, as we can imagine it and hopefully kind of enter into it here for just the next few minutes, it was full of emotions and uncertainty and unexpected expectations all of the sudden being changed throughout that experience. And so maybe this Easter... Maybe more than ever, we can kind of relate a little bit more to that very first Resurrection Sunday as we've been through kind of roller coasters and we can relate to these disciples who went through roller coaster experiences. I just want you, if you will, to kind of be reminded of what happened in the week leading up to Easter. Kind of come with me on a journey here just for a few minutes so we can get our hearts and our minds in the place where the disciples might have been on this very first Resurrection Sunday. Uh, about a week before Resurrection Sunday was Palm Sunday. You were with us last Sunday, we celebrated that. And, and Palm Sunday was this amazing kind of mountaintop experience for Jesus's followers at least we had to imagine that it was because it, it was Passover time in Jerusalem and so there were thousands maybe even hundreds of thousands of people that flocked into the city of Jerusalem Jewish people that were excited to worship God and as they were there Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the crowds kind of starts to take notice of him because of some of the miracles that he had done and because of the teachings that he had given and all of a sudden fanfare starts to break out around Jesus And as he's riding on this donkey into Jerusalem, people start crying out to Jesus. They say, Hosanna, you know, save us, God. And and picturing the disciples in that moment, you know, they had to be saying, this is the plan. This is how things are supposed to happen. They were expecting Jesus to come into Jerusalem, take over the city, kind of rule in an earthly sense. Uh, They thought that he might even take the city by force in some sense. And so you had to picture there were thousands, who knows how many people bowing down and crying out to Jesus, Hosanna. Everyone was like, this is exactly how things are supposed to be. And yet we know throughout the Passion Week that things change very quickly questions started to arise very quickly. Plans started to change. On Thursday, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and he was instituting communion. He was talking about this thing that we still do to this day and we will do later here today. And he was sharing a meal with his disciples and during that meal, one of his disciples, one of his 12 closest friends, Judas, he betrays him for a certain amount of money because Jesus was a threat to the religious and political leaders during that time. And so them seeing all these people bowing down and worshiping could not have made them feel very comfortable. So they had to come up with a plan to take him down because he was a threat to them. And so on Thursday, he was betrayed. On Friday, early in the morning, they put on a false trial for Jesus. And they start making these accusations against him. And again, you have to picture the disciples in this moment thinking, wait, just a few days ago, we thought we knew exactly how this thing was going to go. And now all of a sudden, it's unraveling. So much so that Peter is about ready to fight. He's tried to take a sword out and keep them from, from taking Jesus. He says, no, that's not how things are going to happen. And so Jesus goes to trial. The only man who lived a perfect life, who loved people, who taught, who did amazing healings, who ultimately laid down his life and continually cared for the world around him, now he's being put on trial with criminals. And here's probably the most shocking thing. The thing that calls the disciples to have the most questions. Because when Jesus got put on trial, and they're saying these false things about him, instead of standing up for himself, instead of saying that's not true, he just remained silent. And so they're telling all these lies about him. There's a false trial going on. And instead of doing what the disciples thought for sure he would have done, he remains quiet and silent. Doesn't even defend himself. The Bible says, uh, like a, a sheep gone to slaughter, silently. We know the story, Good Friday. Jesus is crucified with a, a, a thief, a criminal, on both sides of him. And as he goes to the cross, he utters some of the most powerful some of the most important words that humanity has ever heard As he gives up his spirit. He says, it is finished. It is finished. Imagine the letdown. Imagine the, 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 the shock that his followers must have been experiencing during that moment. No way this is the way it's going to end. He, but he just said it's finished. And so from what we can tell on Saturday, we're probably just scattered probably scared, maybe even hiding. The authorities had just come after Jesus and he was the only innocent one. Why wouldn't they come after them? They were scared, hiding, having no clue what to do. Probably lost, probably without hope. And then Sunday morning, the first resurrection Sunday, they go to the grave expecting to to just take Jesus' body and, and, and look after it. And instead, when they show up, they realize that something is different. They realize that Jesus isn't there. And that first Resurrection Sunday would go on to literally change the course of the world, full of expectations continually being changed, emotions up and down. And yet, what we saw on that very first Easter gives us the answer to the questions that many of us have been asking still to this day. That's our big idea on this Resurrection Sunday is this. The resurrection provides answers to life's biggest questions. The resurrection provides answers to life's biggest questions. And so uh, with the few minutes that we have here today, I just want to take some time and and read that very first account of Jesus's resurrection. And I want to do it through the eyes of one specific person. I want to listen to and hear the details of Jesus' resurrection through the eyes of a woman by the, by the name of Mary, Mary Magdalene. And I want to hear it through her perspective and her story for a couple of different reasons. First, Mary, Mary Magdalene, she is extremely relatable to so many of us. If you read earlier in the Gospels, Mary is somebody who had a checkered past. In fact, before she knew Jesus, the Bible says she was pretty crazy. She had some major mental health issues. In fact, uh, the Bible says that, that she, had, she was demon-possessed. She had six or seven different demons within her, and Jesus had to come and drive out those demons. And so when he did, she started following him, and she fell, as you can imagine, having her life completely transformed by Jesus, she fell in love with Jesus and was willing to follow him at any cost. You know, and, and I say she's relatable because uh, as we're here today, I think the idea of, of having things in our past is something that many of us can relate to. I don't know about you, you know, I, I, if, if you're here and you've had six or seven demons, you know, driven out of you, I, I doubt that many of us have had that experience, right? If you have, you're welcome here still, you know. I, I doubt many of us can completely relate to Mary's story. But I bet you many of us would say, yeah, if you really inspected my past, know where I've been, know the things I've said, know the things that I've done. There's some things that that I'm not so proud of. If you looked at my life in the past, maybe you wouldn't even recognize who I am right now. And so she's relatable because her past is checkered just like many of ours. And yet her love for Jesus shines through in so much of this story. So not only is she, she relatable, but she's believable. You know, we talk about questions here today, and I would guess that many of us have a broad spectrum of where we're at with this whole resurrection story. Some of us are here and we are wholeheartedly believing it. We've done the research, we've done the work, and there's not that many questions left for us. But others of us, we're here and we're saying, is this thing real? Like, let's just be honest. Maybe some of us have a lot of questions as we're here. Maybe we have some skepticism within us. And again, if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. Because there's a lot of people that have inspected the story of Jesus and and have wrestled with the story of Jesus. And that's the first step to actually accepting and knowing him is to wrestling with the reality of, is this real or is this true? And I want to tell you that Mary, Mary Magdalene, her story helps us realize the power and the truth of the resurrection. I say that because nobody, if you were going to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead, would have chosen Mary Magdalene. Again, she had a checkered past, but more than that, she was a woman. And during that time, that was not somebody that you would typically believe. A woman who was crazy just a few years earlier. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus revealed himself in the body to more than 500 people. 500 different people saw Jesus, men, women, children. So if you're going to make up the story, why won't you just choose one of those 500 people? But the Bible records a pretty inconvenient fact for the people at the time that the first person or one of the first people to see Jesus was specifically Mary Magdalene. It's interesting because early scholars that would try to disprove Christianity would often cite this as a reason why nobody should worship or follow Jesus because there were women that were the ones that were the first one to say that they'd seen him. Again, not very sophisticated. Thankfully, our society has evolved and we're not nearly as chauvinistic as, as the world was 2,000 years ago, but this was the place that they found themselves in. In fact, there was a, a Greek philosopher in the second century. His, his name was Celsus. And, and he said this, prepare yourself, because it's not very culturally sensitive, but he said this uh, thousands of years ago. He said, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of hysterical females? That's what he said about the fact that the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself first to women. It's definitely misogynistic, but the reality is, if you were making up a story, you would not have chosen Mary Magdalene is a person to be the teller of that story, and yet the very thing that he would use to discredit the resurrection for us as we look back on it thousands of years later gives us confidence that, yeah, you know what? The reason why the Bible actually confirms that Mary Magdalene was the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead is because she was the first person (laughs) that saw Jesus risen from the dead. It's not a made-up story. It's reality, and the Bible records the truth. And so Mary, she's relatable. She's had her life changed by Jesus. She's believable, just like so many of the other disciples. You know, almost all of the disciples, after they saw Jesus, would go on to to lay their life down for Jesus and telling other people about him. If you were going to lie about a story, you certainly wouldn't make up a story that would eventually get you killed, would you? Wouldn't you make up a story that would give you some benefit, not some detriment? And yet it was amazing to see how all of these people would go on to do amazing things for the Lord at great cost to them, both financially and physically, and eventually cost them their lives, but they were changed by the power of the resurrection. And Mary is the first witness to this. So she's relatable and she's believable. Let's listen to this account of her experiencing Jesus for the first time as her risen Lord. We're going to be in the text of John chapter 20. I'm going to stop a couple different times throughout this text, but I'd love to invite you to open up your Bibles and read along with me. John chapter 11, it says this. It says, now Mary, John chapter 20, sorry, verse 11. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you put him, and I will get him. I want to stop right there. It teaches us that first thing we can learn from this account is that Jesus meet, meets us where we are. Jesus meets us where we are. See, here we have Mary, again, remember, in a moment of despair, and she goes to the tomb of Jesus and catch this because this is important and interesting for us to reflect on. Mary didn't go to the tomb of Jesus to find hope. She went to the tomb that first Easter Sunday, that first resurrection Sunday, to grieve. She went to the the tomb of Jesus not to find hope, but she went there to grieve, and she went there to process, and she went there to probably be alone in her despair. She went to his gravesite not expecting him to be alive, not expecting and looking for hope, but looking for a place to grieve. You see, there's this false notion sometimes that we make assumptions that Jesus' disciples, Mary and his other disciples, were sitting around on Saturday just waiting for him to rise, you know, that they were just hopeful, going to the tomb, maybe expecting. No, they would have had no context for that. That would not have been a thought in their mind. As they knew Jesus, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was a wise man, but they didn't have a place for him actually being God until they experienced the resurrection. And then it completely shifted their mindset and eventually opened their eyes. But she did not go to that tomb looking for hope. She went to that tomb looking for a place to grieve. And yet Jesus meets her there. Jesus meets her in her grief. I don't know about you, but even just thinking about this last year, the reality is sometimes it's easier to grieve and to be in despair than to have hope, isn't it? Sometimes it's almost just easier to to grieve and to be in despair rather than to have hope. Sometimes it's easier to look at all that is wrong rather than what could be. But Mary, even in her despair, wasn't stopped from searching for Jesus. Jesus met her right there. And Jesus does the exact same thing for us. You know that we serve a God that loves us and that cares for us and meets us where we're at. So I'm not sure where you are this Easter. I'm not sure if you're here and and you're in a place of, of pain and you're in a place of despair. If that's where you are, you're in the perfect place because Jesus wants to meet you there right now. Or maybe you're here and you're in a place of hope and you think that things are looking up and you can't wait for the future. Well, Jesus will meet you there too, no matter where you are. In hope or in despair, Jesus will meet you right in that place because we serve a God who is personal and wants to engage with us right where we are. Let's jump back into verse 16. Remember, Jesus is talking to Mary. Mary doesn't even know who Jesus is. Verse 16, it says this. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, this is Jesus revealing himself to the world and to Mary about who he is. And I don't know about you if you've ever thought about, you know, how would you reveal yourself if you have risen from the dead? You know, if you were in Jesus's shoes, how would you expect him to reveal himself? I, I don't know, but I wouldn't expect it to be exactly like this I would think he would at least be like hey guys here I am you know or ta you know or some type of like something like profound maybe like make a huge deal about it right Like a a big deal, announce it somewhere. Or like, I told you so, why didn't you remember when I was teaching and I said, tear down the temple and build it back up in three days? That's what I meant right now. You know, there's so many ways that Jesus could have revealed himself to Mary and in turn reveal himself to us because we're reading this text thousands of years later. And yet he does something so simple and so personal. Jesus just says her name. And that's our second point. Jesus calls us by name. Jesus calls us by name. Do you catch how personal and how tender this connection that Jesus has with Mary is? Now, it's interesting because other disciples experienced it too, where Jesus must not have looked exactly like what they thought he would have looked like. His glorified or his resurrected body must have looked a little bit different because they, they couldn't completely put together who he was. But it also shows us again, on their, it wouldn't have even been on their radar that he could have risen from the dead. But in that moment, when Jesus just says her name, not only did Mary realize that Jesus had resurrected from the grave, but Mary herself has a resurrection moment. It's not just that she realizes that Jesus is alive, that Mary's faith itself gets resurrected. Not only is Jesus resurrected, but Mary herself and what she's heard and what she's seen and what she's experienced, she has this resurrection moment within her heart and within her faith. And in a similar way, just as Jesus says Mary, and all of a sudden she experiences this resurrection of her faith, Jesus for each one of us. It's like he's calling our name. It's like he knows us and he's reaching out to us. And of course it looks different. You know, this was 2,000 years ago. Mary was there in person, so I'm not here contending that Jesus is gonna audibly call each one of our names here today. But I think that as we wrestle with who God is, he calls out our name in unique and special ways. Think about the times where you've felt conviction in your heart. Maybe you've had sin in your life, things that you've done wrong, and and you've had a hard time letting it go. You've had a hard time sleeping. You've had a hard time leaving it behind. That's God calling out to you and saying, hey, listen, I'm here for you. I want to take that sin and forgive you. I want to walk with you. Maybe you've had something longing in your heart saying, I know I was created for something more than this. I know that there's something more to life. That's God calling your name saying, listen, I've made you to walk with me. I made you to be part of something so much bigger than yourself. The God that we serve is a personal God, is a relational God. That's what sets Jesus apart from every other religion, is that he knows our name. He wants to walk with us personally. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So if Jesus is calling your name, then the question is, how will you respond? We can't come to faith in Jesus unless he initiates that with us. And if you're here today, I'm guessing that he's initiating a relationship with you. And the question then becomes, how do you respond? I know for myself, you know, thinking about my own story and kind of hearing God call my name, so to speak, for the first time. I was 18 years old. I was in high school. And on the outside, it looked like I had everything together. Now I have friends. I was into sports. It seemed like my life was kind of on a, on a good trajectory. But inside, I was wrestling with something. And, and we were at a party one night. There was drugs and alcohol involved and things that high school kids shouldn't be doing. And one of my uh, friends had been inviting us to church with him for so long. And I liked him. He was a nice guy. And so a few of us decided we would go to church. We would leave the party, go to church with our friends, and then come back and partake in the festivities at the party. And so we left the party. We go to church. And as I was there, it's hard to completely explain, but it finally clicked with me that I needed Jesus, that the conviction that I was feeling wasn't just guilt. I wasn't just supposed to beat myself up. I was supposed to hand my sins over to Jesus and walk with him. And that day in April, I said yes to Jesus, calling my name for the first time. And I went back to the party, and and it was kind of crazy because when I went back, uh, they're like, okay, are you about ready to get started? I'm like, guys, I I think I just accepted Jesus, you know? They're like, you what? (laughs) That's not how this works, you know? And I'm like, no, not like I'm not going to anymore, I guess. Like, I, I feel like I shouldn't. And there is this change in my life. And, and, and I experienced a relationship with Jesus for the first time. It was 23 years ago, tomorrow, that God changed my life. And I heard him calling my name. Man, my life will never be the same. Experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus. And he wants that for each and every one of us. Let's jump back into the text with this final part of the passage. John chapter 20, verse 17 said, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord and she told them, that he had said these things to her. The third and final thing is this. Jesus sends us out to tell others what we've experienced. When we truly experience the resurrection power of Jesus, when we come face-to-face with him and know that he wants a personal relationship with, with us, we have to tell other people about it. I remember telling my friends that very first night, I didn't even know exactly what to say or how to say it. But, Jesus, Jesus did something to me, and changed me. And I told them about him that night, and I've been telling people about him for 23 years. When God changes you, when amazing experiences happen in our lives, you Want to tell other people about it, right? That's just a, a rule of life. It could be with something small. It could be with something big. When you go out to an amazing meal, what do you want to do? You go out to dinner and you find a new place. You want to tell your friends about it, right? You want to tell your neighbors, hey, you got to check out this place. It's really good. If you have kids and you're a parent here, and your kid does something cool, you, you know you probably are a little bit obnoxious, but you can't help it. You want to tell other people about the great thing that your kid did or the A plus that they got or that they could spell this word. And you might even post it on Facebook, even though you know. You're tempted not to. You're like, oh, I'm just going to do it anyway, right? When, when something powerful, cool, exciting happens in our lives, it's human nature to want to tell other people about it. And Jesus confirms this very thing to Mary. He says, listen, don't just hold on to me. Don't just keep this news to yourself. Tell others about it. Go tell the disciples. And again, they would spend the rest of their lives telling people this amazing news that this guy that they just thought was a teacher, they just thought he was a rabbi. They thought he was a really amazing man. He's more than that. He's the God of the universe. He defeated death. He put death in its grave, and they could not stop talking about him. Jesus sends us out to tell others about what he's done for us and what he can do for them. So maybe you're here today, and you haven't been in church for a long time. Maybe you've never really inspected the story of the resurrection. Maybe you're kind of like me and somebody invited you and so you're like, all right, I'll go. And you find yourself here or you feel like you're supposed to be here because it's Easter. And maybe you're here asking some of those big questions that we all ask. Am I lovable? Is what I've done forgivable? Could God ever accept me. Is there more to life than what I'm experiencing now? Is there purpose to my being? We're here to tell you, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to the deep questions that each and every one of us are asking. He's the answer to the questions that we're asking here on this earth, and he's the answer to the questions that we need to have answered to have eternal life with him. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. What Paul is saying is, listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything hinges on that. And if it's not true, then we shouldn't even dress up and play this game anymore because it's not real. He goes on to say that the power of the gospel is made real and us understanding and living out the resurrection. See, the beauty of Easter is that Jesus answers the final question once and for all when he defeats death and he raises from the dead. And so now for each and every one of us, very practically, we can know that God gives us hope and gives us new life and God can raise any person and any situation to new life. See, no relationship is too broken for God to heal anymore. No hardship is too big for God to redeem. No sin is too big or too strong for God to break down or God to forgive. No trial is too big for God to step into and to use for his purpose and his plan and bringing about redemption to each and every one of us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the resurrection. So as we're here today, we want you to know Jesus knows your name, and he's calling you by name. He wants to walk with you in a relationship that will last for eternity. The question is, how will we respond? For those of us who said yes to him, let's worship and let's celebrate today. That God made a way for us. He answered those questions. If you're here, you've been sitting on the fence, you've been questioning, I want you to know today is the day that you can have those questions answered in your life. Today a day where you can say, God, I want to turn from my sin. I can't work my way back to you. I can't create my own purpose. I can't save myself. But through believing in you, the power of your death, and more importantly, your resurrection, I can walk in new life. We invite you to say yes to him. Say yes to a relationship with him today so that you can experience new life for the first time. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna spend some time singing and worshiping God for the power of the gospel and what he's done. If You bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for the beauty of the cross and the power of the resurrection. Lord, that you would willingly lay down your life for each one of us because you know us by name. Lord, you're a God that is both powerful and amazing and massive and yet near and personal and close. God, when you revealed yourself to Mary and just called her by name, would you do that to each one of us here today? Would you speak to our hearts? Would there be something that wells up inside of us that says yes to you, God? We need you to draw us to you. We can't do it on our own. So Lord, would you work in the hearts and the lives of each and every one of us here today so that we can walk and live with you in eternity?